Hey. Now oh, you're muted. Hello? Hey, what's up? Hey, what's interesting is, so I can't do this from my iPad or my computer. I thought they would have fixed that by now. I guess oh. it's just iPhone only. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure they'll fix that eventually, but whatever. Yeah, yeah. If Twitter makes it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's cool that they kind of picked up where Clubhouse left off. I think that's pretty interesting. What do you mean? Did Clubhouse die away? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone who's still – I mean, I'm sure people use it, but, yeah, Clubhouse t- – I'm sure if you look at the numbers of, like, you know, usership over time, it totally fell off. Mm. But Twitter's spaces are pretty uh, prevalent, especially, like, amongst uh, Bitcoiners. Yeah, I see Bitcoin Twitter spaces popping up all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, uh, maybe, I think the Mises Institute should start doing that. That'd be cool. I know they have the – and my buddy went. Uh, I you spoke right at the uh, Discord conference, whatever you call it. Yeah, how'd that go? Um, it was good. Um, the last two or three speakers had technical problems because they they uh, it was the old guys, <laughs> Walter Block and some of the others, and they had to go to YouTube instead. <laughs> oh, okay. But it, it you know they always work it out. Very nice. Um, so are we waiting or are we going to start? What, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll wait till three 30 to get started. Then I'll kind of formally introduce me and the company and introduce you. And then, and then we'll start because, uh, the COO Kent Halliburton usually comes on as well and he kind of participates, but yeah, we're just waiting for a few minutes. Okay. So will you, um, will it be guided by questions or? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I've prepared. It's, uh, and you know, it's, um, so our audience is people interested in Bitcoin and Bitcoin mining and their relationship to energy. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you're familiar, but basically last year, a lot of kind of lefties who are interested in energy for obvious reasons are kind of coming into the Bitcoin space. And so they're not going to be familiar necessarily. Our audience isn't necessarily going to be familiar with Austro-Libertarian theory. So I'm going to yeah. ask you some kind of like 101 questions to start just yeah. so people know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if I say something, I'll try to explain it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. And what I find, you know, it's recording and I'll send it to you. It'll probably take a couple of days. Like I'll download uh, the Twitter spaces file and it usually takes a few days, but I'll send that to you as soon as it's ready. And what's your name again? Logan, Logan. Oh, you're Logan. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, no worries. Um, Not on your handle. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much you follow, but um, yeah, Bitcoin mining is becoming more and more fascinating. Like uh, Satoshi, and you, as you know, this is often the case with innovations. You know, Satoshi invented a new money for the obvious reasons, but it's turning out that Bitcoin mining really does improve humanity's relationship with energy in a lot of really fascinating ways, which is very cool. Well, I'm in Texas too, and the Texas connection with like the the grid and all these other issues that all that's fascinating to me too. Yeah, as long as these control freaks in Washington don't uh, ruin it. But we'll see. I mean, my guess is we're going to end up in a kind of arms race where more and more people find Bitcoin mining popular. They're like, hey, Bitcoin mining is helping, you know, make this stranded energy source profitable. We like this. And they're going to say, oh, but we have to use less energy. So that's on the horizon. And, you know, I agree with Dave Smith, this whole um, like the Green New Deal, that was kind of a laughing stock a few years ago. And it does feel like 
it's really becoming like one of the big battles. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. I had uh, mentioned our COO Kent. He's uh, he's here now. One moment, and we can get started now. It's three thirty. Uh, just to let you know, Stefan, usually people trickle in kind of as we go. So we'll just go ahead and get started soon. Um, hey, Kent. Hey, Logan. I was just talking with Stefan about some stuff. Um, anyway, and I, I told him uh, not everyone in our audience is going to be familiar with uh, Austro-Libertarianism, and he, he totally got it. So that was cool. Uh, so let me go, go ahead and uh, restart the room. My name is Logan Chipkin. I'm content manager of SAS Mining, where we make uh, renewable Bitcoin mining accessible to regular people. And today we're joined by Stefan Kinsella, and I'll let him introduce himself. But first, uh, Kent, do you want to say a few words? Sure. Uh, thank you, Logan, for the opportunity. You're going to have to do a little intro for yourself as well. You do an excellent job hosting these spaces, but I operate as the president and COO here at SAS Mining, which means I uh, manage all the internal affairs. Uh, my first career was in solar, rooftop solar, and uh, very excited for this conversation to learn from you, Stefan. Um, definitely libertarianism has uh, has gotten to be in my crosshairs uh, the further I've gone down my uh, my Bitcoin journey here. But um, yeah, been I think you are the first uh, first Austria Austrian libertarian uh, that I've spoken to, and uh, keen to learn a lot from you. Well, glad to meet you, and uh, prepare to have your mind blown. <laughs> Uh, yes. Yeah, so I'll, uh, a few words about me. So I've been a, I'm a longtime writer, been writing about all sorts of stuff, journalism, physics, economics for years. And now I'm happy to be working with SAS Mining to really create a lot of our content around Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining and energy. Um, so that's a little bit about me. Uh, Stefan, before we start, do you want to uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Well, I live in Houston, Texas. I'm from Louisiana originally. I'm a I'm an attorney, a retired attorney. I'm a patent attorney, uh, but also have long time been a libertarian speaker, writer, and thinker, uh, uh, mostly influenced by the Austrian economics and anarchist uh, you know, camp of Rothbard and Mises and these guys. So that's my take. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge Bitcoin um, uh, hopeful advocate i don't know what you want to call it <laughs> so yeah that's that's my take plus i was an electrical engineer in, in, in college so uh yeah i'm i'm interested in technology and uh those related matters too perfect yeah i'm just to let the audience know fyi i'm also essentially an austro-libertarian i tend to not use that word uh in other contexts because people probably don't often know what that is but since Stefan's here i figured out oh, why not break open the champagne bottles um, so it's nice to be amongst the, my people, as it were. Not that Bitcoiners aren't, but anyway. So before we get into, so today we're going to talk about Bitcoin and kind of how Bitcoin relates to property rights, uh, and we'll see why that's relevant soon. But Stefan, before we get into that, what is Austro-Libertarianism, and what is the Austro-Libertarian view of property rights? Yeah, that's interesting. So, and, and I'm, I'm assuming we have sort of a generic audience who probably doesn't know all this stuff. So, um, yeah, so basically um, economics is just a study of wealth, how wealth is created in society, right? And so there is a free market economics and socialist economics and things like that. And there's a sub-school called Austrian economics, which is a special type of approach to economics, 
pioneered by Carl Menger and Ludwig von Mises and Friedrich Hayek and Murray Rothbard and these guys. And uh, from probably from most of your audience's point of view, the, the fundamental thing to think about uh, what's unique about Austrian economics is it's, it's focused on the individual. So every individual is the actor and it's hyper free market. Like we need free market property rights for people to um, trade with each other and to establish money prices and have an efficient economy. So it's, it's kind of pro-capitalist. And then libertarianism is more the political side, which is basically an extreme or more principled or more OCD version of the idea that – which most most Americans – the idea that most Americans believe in, which is that um, we should have civil liberties like personal liberties, like right to free speech, right to freedom of religion, freedom of conscience. But we should also have economic liberties, which means the right to trade, the right to profit, the right to own your property. Um, and so that is what I would call soft libertarianism and hard libertarianism would be the way we view it, which is like no exceptions. Like we just like want – we apply the principles so strongly that we think the, the whole state is illegitimate and democracy and the whole the whole deal. But basically in the meantime, we want there to be a minimal – version of the state so like the state should only stop crime and protect your property rights but that's that's all they should do so, so taxes should be very low that kind of thing and so if you combine so austro libertarianism is a label that we give to people that have combined sort of this austrian view of free market economics with this sort of radical uh skepticism of, of state or government power with libertarianism so that's sort of our perspective on these issues. Got it. Got it. And so when you say right to free speech and civil liberties and right to pro profits, aren't these not precise from an Austrian perspective? Because strictly speaking, they're not property rights. Correct. Yeah, th no, that's actually that's actually correct. So. So, uh, yeah, if you want to dive into the details and the weeds, um, uh, these things are the consequences of a more baseline level of rights. So if you basically have a system in a society where people want to get along with each other and they want to respect each other's rights and they want to live and let live. I mean, there's, there's a whole movement, by the way, called live and let live, which I'm part of M Mark Victor from Arizona started this. Um, the idea is that like most people believe roughly speaking in the live and let live idea, like you should live and let other people live, which means you, you have your own stuff and they have their own stuff and you trade with each other and you cooperate, and you negotiate. And we, we tend to, uh, you know, oppose the, uh, the, uh, the use of force to take each other's stuff right so but the, but the bottom line is the fundamental right is the right to integrity the physical integrity of your body which is expressed by the what we call the non-aggression principle which means that you know you shouldn't hit people and kill people and you shouldn't use their body without their permission you shouldn't rape them or kill them or murder them or rob them or whatever right because it's their body not it's not your body so whenever you say something like you oppose crime in in a, in, a, in a fundamental sense, you're 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 in effect recognizing property rights in their body because you're saying that well only one person can have control of this body. I mean, look, most people nowadays 
would not uh, argue for slavery, ch- chattel slavery like we had in the U.S. in, um, in, in previous previous decades. Okay, but if you're opposed to that, that means that's because you're saying that well, you shouldn't be able to own someone else's body. So, in other words, everyone owns their own body. Now, people get uncomfortable sometimes with that way of looking at it because then they're afraid we're, we're going on the other side too much, this capitalism, commodification, commercialization side where, oh, everything is a, uh, everything is a commodity. It's like, yeah, well, I think that's complete BS because if you say you're against slavery, all you're saying is every person owns their own body and you can't attack them or use their body without their permission. And there's nothing more libertarian than that. And the people that get concerned about this, oh, commodification of your body, it's like, I mean, let's let's tackle one issue at a time, right? Like, let's first stop slavery, and then we can worry about people using their bodies to sell themselves uh, in labor contracts that you don't like, that you think are exploitative. But let's at least free them from the you know from the bounds of actually being attacked and assaulted by other people. Okay, now, is it possible for people to own ideas and abstractions from this perspective? If we're talking about owning physical bodies and basically universalizing that for all scarce resources, okay. how can someone own an idea or an abstraction, if at all? That's, that's a good question. And so the, way, the best way to answer it, uh, given a general audience who is not familiar with all, so let me just... Uh, let me just uh, try to explain a few broad concepts. Okay, so um, ownership is a property concept. It's a legal concept. It means you have a property right recognized by the legal system to control a given scarce resource in the world. Okay, so that's what that's what ownership means. Um, now, then we so 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 the typical things everyone recognizes because they're intuitive, they're common sense, they're traditional. You know, you can own animals, you can own a car, you can own land, you can own some iron ore you found from the ground, you can own some 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 stone you you mine from the from a mountain. These are physical things, and you can also own your body. But all that all that ownership means is you have the exclusive right to determine who can use the thing. Right. So if I own my body, if someone wants to kiss it <laughs> or take my cells for a for a, a medical trial, they have to get my permission. So that means I can say no or I can say yes. So ownership ultimately means the right to say no, the right to exclude people from using something. So how do you get this right? Right. So the right in your body comes because, in our view, the natural the natural idea that you know, you're the natural um, owner of your body because you are the body, because you can directly control your body. Most people wouldn't disagree with that. But then when we have other things in the world, like things that are lying around in the unowned wilderness that we have to take as resources and use to manipulate things in life to get what we want, we need to control these things and possess them. And then if we possess these things and we want to use them, there's a chance someone else might want to take it from us by force because the nature of these things is we call them a scarce resource or a rivalrous resource is that only one person can use them. And so if I'm using this, 
you know, this, this, this fishing net to catch fish and my neighbor's dog takes it from me. I can't use the fish and the net anymore to catch fish. Okay. So there arises in society, this need for property rules. that says, okay, well, who owns these other things that were previously unowned scarce resources? And the answer is the private law solution of the West, um, the Roman law, and just classical antiquity, um, the common law, the Roman law, the idea that the first person to take something out of the unowned state in the wilderness is the owner or whoever he transfers it to by contract. So like you have two pretty three, three simple principles for your human body. Everyone is the self owner. Like, so we're against slavery. That's all that really means. And number two, for other things, the first person to start using it when no one else owned it or the person you transport to by contract is the owner. So you have self-ownership, original appropriation, some people call it homesteading, or contractual transfer. Like that's the basically the, the way you decide who can own things. Okay, so when, when the question is can you own information, so the question a legal system – so a legal system emerges because there's a need in society for people to rely upon their fellow neighbors to help support themselves in res having their rights respected because you, no one can ever defend all their rights by themselves. Like the only way you can have society is to have society and society means there's other people that respect you and have the same values and that kind of thing. So you have to appeal to their commonly shared values, right? So, but the but the point the the point is, the purpose of these property rights is to have support in your neighbors. They're going to recognize your transfers of property to and from yourself, right? And and if there's an occasional malfeasor or bad guy, then they will be dealt with as they have to be dealt with. But by and large, you're, you're trying to appeal to the other people, right? And so the so the, the so the point is. When you have to appeal to other people, you have to appeal to commonly shared values, which is that we all would – most of us would prefer to get along with each other without conflict and without, um, um, without violence. So would you say – does Bitcoin count as information or would you say it's a physically scarce good or is it a physically – or is it a digitally scarce good? And that's how we right because you're able to exclude people from it. So is right. that all we need to say? No. Property? So, so, so yeah. So you steer me back onto where I was. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing about Bitcoin. So what happens is people, not everyone's a theorist, and so they don't always use the technically precise language, and so they will intermix categories of things. So for example, they'll call money property or they'll say oh this is my property but what they're what they're talking about is their wealth right or their ability to control something so there's a sliding between realms of language between the the normative realms normative means when we describe things like it's right or wrong right or rights and then and then in the economic sense of like like if you say oh i have this many cattle or i have um, this goodwill in my business 
because it's, it has a value, like there's a monetary value. So people tend to conflate them with each other because they relate to each other in real life. Because if I have secure property rights in my home and in my factory and whatever, then I can sell it or use it to make deals or contracts. And that translates into monetary things. So people, they tend to lose sight of the, of, of the connection between these things. Uh, and so what this means is that um, in a simple, in a simplistic sense, and let's get back to the origin of money for just for a second to make this explanation clear. So humans, every human is an animal, right? And lives is a life form on the earth and, the, and theoretically could live by themselves on an Island. This is the, the hypothetical of Robinson Crusoe alone on an Island. Right. And so you could analyze what he's doing economically, but it would be very boring and simple, but basically Everything he does is, is like an exchange or an action or has opportunity costs. Like he, he, uh, he, he takes time one day to build a net so he can catch more fish the next day. So you can explain all that in primitive economic terms, but there's no other people around. So th the explanation is, is limited and boring and not that useful for the modern world. When you have other people enter the situation, you have the possibility of exchange and trade and the division and specialization of labor. So then you have what's called barter. So people start doing that. That's one of the things they do. To And everyone is richer because of this, because they can trade with each other. So they're not only alone on an island, right? But the problem is that um, – uh, the economic problem we call the double coincidence of wants, which means that, you know, if I have a fish and I want a shoe, I've got to find a guy that's selling a shoe that happens to want a fish to make the trade. So barter is very impractical. So inevitably a third medium of a third thing, uh, the medium of exchange arises like money is something everyone trades into and out of is like, it's like a clearinghouse kind of thing. Right. So it allows people to trade more unimpeded. So this is why money emerges. Right. OK. So people start thinking of money as wealth because you can use money to get wealth. Like if I have gold or dollars or whatever money the money is, I can buy bread or a house, which is wealth. But the money itself is not wealth. Right. OK. So here's the question. Um, so, so people confuse these categories of property and ownership and, 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 and wealth because they all relate to each other. But if you want to be clear about it, um, um, information is a second in, – and this is where we have to get a little bit into what Mises, who's a, a famous Austrian economist – calls praxeology. Praxeology is a word he came up with, which means uh, the science of the logic of human action, right? Which means you, the implications of human action. So you analyze what it is that humans do, and we try to figure out the consequences, which is what, they, what the Austrians think is the, is the core basis of, of economics, right? It's, it's analyzing the implications of human action, right? And, and so if you understand human action... And we all understand that on an intuitive basis, and we all actually do it. What do we do as humans? Every one of us is an individual subjective actor. We have our own goals. We have our own view of the future. We think things are coming 
we could be wrong or right, but we have a vision of what is coming in the future. And when we imagine, oh, this is what's coming tomorrow, and I don't like it, it gives me dissatisfaction, right? It makes me uneasy, as Mises calls it. So I'm thinking, well, can I take an action to change the course of events? This is what all human action is about. It's like we always are always imagining the next 10 minutes or five minutes or the next year or whatever. And we're thinking if we don't do anything, X is going to happen, but I would prefer Y to happen. Can I make Y happen instead? Maybe I can. Maybe I can grab a means, a scarce means of action, some efficacious resource in the world that I can – used to intervene the course of events to change the future basically right um and so um and and so every human action i'm getting to my point okay every human action is the employment of a scarce means or resource something some physical material thing that we can use to to change what happens but it's always guided by knowledge always guided by knowledge because you have to have a brain and a, a mind and a consciousness that knows something about the future world and something about the current world, something about the laws of cause and effect. And you, you, you attempt to employ these scarce resources to divert the course of events. Okay. So the point here to recognize is this, the the ingredient, every successful action, there's two ingredients. Number one is that the, there's a human actor who had the availability of a means and preferably in a property rights society, it's, it's uh, these means are not just possessed, but they're protected by the law. And number two, you have to have knowledge. Okay. So the knowledge is what guides your action. Now I'm getting back to your IP question, your intellectual property, patent law. And by the way, I'm a patent lawyer. I've been a patent lawyer since 1993 or four. And so I'm, well familiar how this how this field works, but in my view, the law cannot give practical. Uh, I'm sorry, the law cannot give property rights in ideas, and the reason is not because I oppose it for the reasons I could I've given in my articles. Like it's not a normative thing. It's not like it's not like saying um um um. The government can't outlaw abortion. Like, actually, the government can outlaw abortion. I mean, you might agree, disagree or agree with that, but it's, you can't say that it's impossible for the state to make abortion illegal. But when it is actually impossible for the state to uh, set up a system of ownership of ideas, and the reason is because ideas are the things that guide your action. They're not the tangible material resources that you use to get your action done. So whenever the state sets up a pretend idea ownership system like patent law or copyright law, it's always a disguised and confusing thing that confuses everyone because they're not experts. But it pretends to be ownership of ideas, but it's not really because what it's really ultimately is ownership of tangible resources because so so. If you have a patent or a copyright and you sue in a government court to enforce it, in the end, what you get is an order from the court backed by physical force of the government courts against some 
I call them a victim, right? And, and, and it tells them you can't use your factory to make this product or you have to transfer a million dollars of your of your bank account to this guy's damages. So it's, it's, the end result is always about um, um, about ownable, tangible material resources. And so when you have a law that says, oh, I own this, then it's just a disguised and confused form of uh, uh, of stealing people's actual property. So, w- in my view, what happens is in the in the Bitcoin case is you have people that are business minded and economic minded, and they're using the concept of control, which is what we would call in the law possession, which is this thing from ownership, uh, because they don't really care about legal ownership; they care about what you can do in real life, right? So in Bitcoin, I have a key and that allows me, I'm the only one who can access this, this, these Satoshis, right? In, 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 in the blockchain. I'm the only one who can enter a sequence of in- information that can transfer control of this, of this space to someone else, right? That's practically the thing. And that is similar to what the legal right of ownership gives you for physical things. So people call it ownership, but it's not really ownership. It just means possession or control. So we have to, so, so in my view, just like you can't own ideas or information, um, no one can own Bitcoin. And there's another reason why you can't own Bitcoin. And that is because um, the Bitcoin system is designed to be pseudonymous in the sense of to transfer Bitcoins or Satoshis within the system, you only have to meet certain criteria. Like you have to give the right keys. That's it. You don't have to verify a legal thing, right? Um, so um, so if I go onto Twitter or Facebook and I impersonate someone, I may be violating their, 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 their terms, right? Their, their user terms. I may be violating a contract, um, but with Bitcoin, there is no such thing. Like it's there is no there is no rule that says you can't steal someone's Bitcoin. So if you could somehow guess someone's key, or you know, uh, then it's and then you transfer those coins. That is actually not like a contract violation. I'll pause here because I've been going on for a while. Uh, Stephen, so I'm <clears throat> I'm sort of wrestling with your, your description here and, and trying to understand if, if how do you classify Bitcoin then if it is not an idea, but also it's not property? How do you classify it? Um, I think that, well, so first of all, I would classify Bitcoin as potentially money if it ever could become money. I don't think it's money yet because it's not, it doesn't have a wide enough network effect. Money, but money has an economic definition. But we have lots of things, lots of phenomena in reality that we understand and apprehend and comprehend and, and describe that are not always just physical things, right? Um, so like, for example, you could, you could just you could you could distinguish your mind from your brain. I mean, they're different things. The concept of mind is different than the concept of brain. Just like the concept of person is different than the concept of body, right? They're just different things. So I think 
I think my personal view is Bitcoin is simply um, uh, a, a distributed ledger system, right? <laughs> Which is extremely inefficient, and it needs to be inefficient for for the for the blockchain to work. But it's just it's a distributed uh, 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 ledger system, and people can use it if they want to um, to store value, right? So they they can basically assign subjectively value to it and they seem to have done so not completely because it's not money yet so i would say bitcoin is just a ledger system and to be honest the word coin and the word bitcoin which is what satoshi or whoever came up with is a little bit uh a little bit disingenuous because it's, it's trying to bootstrap it's trying to make it become a money by calling it a coin but you could have just called it uh, a ledger system so it's it's just a, it's just a database basically, and people can use databases for whatever they want to use them for. It's just like the Austrians point out that, for example, um, if you have a, a good, um, there is no inherent public or private goods distinction between them or consumer capital goods distinction. Um, like if I have a hammer, the hammer is not necessarily a consumer good or a capital good it depends upon the subjective perspective of whoever the owner is right so there are no intrinsic characters characteristics in these things so i would say that bitcoin uh could be used as money and i hope it will <laughs> so that's my take sorry no it's 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 interesting i I'm not trying to to challenge you at all just learn uh how you how you're seeing the world here and you know i guess clearly you're a big bitcoin proponent uh, as we are here uh, building a business around it but i'm I'm curious if you've come across any other austrian libertarians or libertarians in general that um for whatever reason are are not into bitcoin and yeah how, how they would come to that conclusion based on uh, libertarian values no that's a good question um yeah I, I i i may seem um i may seem like a little bit of a naysayer to you guys but i'm, I'm not really i because uh, but, but from my point of view like yeah uh, the guys that i came up with and the guys that i admire and respect in the community um they have been a lot more I don't know if the word is skeptical, skeptical Bitcoin. I, I think it's maybe more that they're older and they just don't get it. Um, there are some, there have been some, some Austrian complaints saying that, um, there have been some arguments by Austrians saying that Bitcoin is impossible. Okay. And they, and I think it's ridiculous. I, I don't agree with them. And the, their argument is something based upon, um, 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 what's called the the regression theorem, and this is Mises and Karl Menger's kind of tr historical explanation of how money could have emerged. Because there's this problem of the um, of the uh, um, infinite infinite sort of regress. Like, well, if money's value today rests upon money's value yesterday, then go back in time. How did it ever get a value? And, and Mises' answer was, well, because at one point in time there was a barter society and there was no money. 
And so you ha- everything had a real value based upon how they actually traded. And then, then people started noticing, oh, we can start using one of these things as a commodity for indirect exchange, right? And then money emerged. So his, in my view, my view always has been that Mises was trying to break this infinite regress by just pointing out the way that it probably happened or the way that it could be happened, the way it could have happened. But other people interpret that infinite uh, – I'm sorry. Other people interpret Mises' regression theorem as, as, as a proof that money can only emerge from a barter commodity with a real value. And, and, and they interpret that to mean that Bitcoin could, is, is, is not possible because Bitcoin wasn't a commodity with a, with a useful value already. Right Now, I think they're wrong. But there are some Austrians, so so I think that's part. So part of the reason is the part of the reason for the the sort of disheartening lack of endorsement of Bitcoin by Austrians, um, because we're the natural ones who should be endorsing it. I think part of it is because of this obsession with and this misinterpretation of the Mises regression theorem, and part of it is because honestly, a lot of the older theorists are just they're just they just don't get Bitcoin at all. I mean, like. The one I respect the most is my mentor, Hoppe, and to his credit, he hasn't actually come out criticizing Bitcoin, but he hasn't like enthusiastically adopted it either. He just told me he, – he told me personally he just doesn't get it. You know, like I don't know, what, whatever. So, so, so I, I think that they're having trouble imagining the reality of this, and I think part of the reason is because they're economists, and to fully understand – this new phenomenon, you need to have sort of a synthesis of at least three things, technology and economics and law, right? And now I'm an electrical engineer and I'm a lawyer and I'm a Austrian economist. So I'm trying to like use what I know about these three things to make it make sense. The thing is Bitcoin proponents think that it's a criticism when people like me say you can't own Bitcoin. It's not a criticism. It's just an accurate analysis of the way we need to look at this new phenomenon. Yeah, I've heard. Um, v- yeah, when I first came across the apparent conflict between the regression theorem and Bitcoin, I was pretty fascinated. I was like, oh, how do we square this circle? Um, Stefan, you're probably familiar, but some people argue that actually Bitcoin did have value as a consumer good because people bought it as like a collectible. I don't know if you are familiar with that argument. No, I, I am, and I I agree. That's an, that's another that's another um, that's another problem with 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 that criticism of Bitcoin. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think I think it did have a it, did, it, but it doesn't have a value like gold. I think it is distinct from say say gold did have a pre monetary barter value of ornamentation or even scientific or whatever. Um, Bitcoin, yeah, you could say it has a value as a collector's thing or as a way to achieve liberty. But that's sort of like blending it into its function. Um, but to me, it doesn't matter. The, the point, if it has, a, it has enough value to get going, which it, it, seem, it seems to have done, right? It went from, from, from zero to so 64,000 <laughs> right? dollars. Um, it's, it's, it, at a certain point, it doesn't matter what the basis of it. I think, by the way, Bob Murphy has a good podcast on this about um, about this regression theorem uh, criticism of Bitcoin. I, I don't remember the episode number, but anyway, I'll pause. 
you know the uh, the person that I've heard talk about this that uh, gave a uh, an answer or a solution to the this regression theorem was actually Dominic Frisbee, and he uh, he identified that that uh, people and I don't know if this is accurate, but I, I like it um, that gold was people were attracted to it by its natural beauty. And there is something naturally beautiful about Bitcoin, but it's a mathematical beauty. Um, and that's how he was how, how he was square in this circle. Oh, that's 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 interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Sure. I have no no objection to that. Yeah, that's it. I haven't heard that either, Kent. But yeah, I could totally see that. That's uh, perfectly plausible, uh, especially those early cypherpunks. You know, they were all about that. Um so, Stefan, I wonder, I don't know how much you follow um, kind of like governments around the world and how they're responding to Bitcoin. But from a libertarian perspective, how do you feel about places like El Salvador making Bitcoin legal tender? You know, it's almost like using fiat means towards libertarian ends. Uh, I'm waiting and watching. You know, I don't really I, I'm not sure. I, I don't I, I, I'm not going to hurl bombs at it. Um, I mean, as a libertarian, you could say that um, all legal tender law is wrong. You shouldn't force people to accept a means of payment. Um, I don't, and I don't think that's how Bitcoin will will ever become um, the main medium of, of exchange. Um, I think it will happen because people will abandon the fiat standards. Um, whether these local little governments can help it. I mean, I do think that the, the one thing I've seen, which I haven't seen much analysis on, is I, I think that um, my understanding is that, uh, like, in the, in the Western countries, like, say, the U.S., we treat um, um, certain foreign currencies as, as legal tender in their own countries and thus not subject to the same kind of crazy... Um, sales tax and capital gains tax stuff if they're considered to be an actual legal tender currency of another country. And so if some significant country could somehow get Bitcoin treated as their actual legal tender and recognized by the U.S., then that would have a – and if that resulted in – in meaning that you could hold Bitcoin in the U.S. and trade it without having a capital gains tax, um, then I think that could have a, a big effect. But I'm not aware of anyone who studied this because everyone seems to be totally confused on all, all this stuff. Um, so because they just talk, they talk out of their asses about it. They kind of they hear something and they say something. I think there's something there. There's something potential. There's a reason the Treasury Department or whoever it is that controls this hasn't hasn't like changed the regulations to recognize it. Maybe we need to get you know some. Um, uh, what, what's what's the thing that all, all the uh, not the grayscale one, but the uh, uh, the grayscale Bitcoin trust that's is in trouble now. They're trying to convert to a uh, um, not an IRA, but you know whether whether it's like you said like a, like a vehicle where people can use to get into bitcoin now of course i'm in favor of having uh, you have to have your own bitcoin on your own wallet but i do think that having a second avenue for people to have access to it is 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 one way people can start fleeing to it 
to flee to it, you need to be able to do it. Right now, they're afraid of it because they hear about FTX. Yeah, I agree. And actually, something I've been thinking about recently is, and, you know, of course, not your keys, not your coins and all that. But I could easily see even after humanity is on a Bitcoin standard, uh, financial derivative instruments uh, still being traded in the market. And, you know, kind of like from an Austrian perspective, it's just price discovery. And if people think they can uh, trade second layer assets in order to outpace the purchasing power of bitcoin i don't see why that wouldn't exist in the future oh yeah i was thinking more etfs yeah i'm i'm actually really skeptical of all these uh, all these derivatives i i think that it, i mean my view about bitcoin is that it, it could solve a couple of problems well number one it could solve wealth problems because if it ever becomes money it's going to go up in value a lot so the people that are lucky enough to invest in it now they might make a lot of money but that's a one-time sort of thing because mm-hmm. the way I envision it is it becomes hyper-Bitcoinized in, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years, whatever. And, and then it plateaus and then everything is fine uh, if, unless we kill ourselves with a nuclear war that follows, right? But the second problem, you know, and then it just basically means that the government is starved of this ability to do deficit financing of its wars and things like that. The government now has to actually live on its taxes. <laughs> so to me, that's the big advantage. How how we get there, I've heard lots of people speculate about this hyper-Bitcoinization process and this transfer process, transition process. It seems to be happening slower than they predicted. Put it that way, right? All these optimist guys two, three, four years ago, I don't think they would have predicted we're at 17,000 right now and just stagnating. So... It, it may be a more complicated and difficult process than um, the optimist hope. Yeah, maybe. Um, <clears throat> I personally, like, I don't even really pay attention to the price too much unless it's like geopolitically interesting or, or whatever. But um, yeah, I think it's a bad idea to try to predict when exactly hyper Bitcoinization will occur. I think kind of like what I mentioned with El Salvador, you know, you're just seeing more and more people adopted, and that's exactly what we need. And I was, ta- as a friend of mine said to me recently, you know, once there's some simple app that basically serves as a money translator, kind of like a, if a Chinese person and an Englishman were talking and they just had a translator, if you just had some sort of app that converted fiat to Bitcoin and vice versa immediately without people having to think, at that point, it's presumably game over, especially if we have Lightning Network or something. Well, yeah, so I, 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 I agree that it would be an advantage to have um, um, uh, basically a, a frictionless, costless translation service like you're talking about. And a lightning, you know, something like that probably will do that. I mean, if, we, if we're not in a rush, I mean, give it five years and who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know if that solves the problem. So, so the way I look at it is this. Money solves a problem of barter, Okay. It overcomes the, the double coincidence of wants and, and it enables rational economic calculation by giving you numbers you can you can use to compare heterogene, heterogeneous units. Um, and then the state fucks up money by co-opting it and, and centralizing it and inflating it and, and censoring it and all that kind of stuff. So money solves a problem and the state ruins the utility of money. So then the question is, Bitcoin is the promise of restoring money back to its original function. But the problem is, 
it has it has to basically replace money and and so like so I, I, I bitcoiners hate when i say this but fiat money works fine for purchasing i can go down to starbucks i can go to the grocery store i can buy a car fiat money works fine because it still solves the original problem of barter the main problem is the government controls it they censor it and they can inflate it so it's not a good store of value anymore Okay, so what's that mean? I just don't store as much of my money and my value, my wealth and money anymore. Okay, that's what people do in these societies where there's inflation. They just don't hold their money, their value. They don't hold a significant chunk of their wealth in money. But that's what they do. So it still doesn't show why they would switch from dollars to Bitcoin because it doesn't give them any advantage. Unless they start holding it as an asset for future appreciation, right? And expecting it to somehow take over. But it seems like a chicken and egg thing to me. So this is my dilemma with Bitcoin right now. I'm not blaming anyone in the space. I mean, there's no one's fault. It's the fault of the state. And it's the difficulty of getting out of the state system. But I don't think we should be unrealistic and just like be Pollyanna about it and say, oh, Bitcoin is inevitable. I don't think it's inevitable at all. I wish it was inevitable. <laughs> well, cer- certainly the solution to any problem is not inevitable. I agree with you there. Um, let me just take a moment to reset and because um, we'll open it to questions or comments from the audience as well. Uh, right, but just, to, just to remind everyone, uh, this is the SAS Mining Twitter space. We host these every week. Uh, SAS Mining makes uh, clean Bitcoin mining accessible to retail customers all around the world. Our next facility is actually being energized this month. So check out our website, www.sasmining.com, and buy your rigs before uh, we run out of uh, space. Uh, and with that, if anyone has a question or comment, uh, feel free. If not, um, I have something. Um, so, Stefan, do you think, uh, let's assume Bitcoin continues to, if not completely take over, be, let's just say become a significant uh, economic force. Do you think that has any impact on people's um, political views. For example, as you well know, there are millions of people in America alone who literally think a stateless money is impossible in principle. And so to have uh, such a counterexample, I wonder if it would shake them of their ideas. No, I actually think it, yeah, of course it could. Uh, I mean, you even have people like Peter Schiff and, you know, you have, you have our people who are skeptical. And I think if they saw it actually worked, they would go, oh, maybe something's different. Um, so, uh, and, and the example I always give is, um, look, I used to be a libertarian who thought that the reason, the reason we have statism and, you know, rights violations and lack of prosperity is because too many people are too stupid and they, they just haven't learned their basic economics. And so the solution is you just go out and propagandize and educate everyone so okay so i have a job and i'm, I'm gonna give two percent of my salary to cato and they're gonna pass out pamphlets and whatever but that's just such a pipe dream right but the, but the but the mentality is that the way to solve problems in society is to change people's mentality by propagandizing them. And of course, that's ridiculous, right? But you can change people's views um, 
by reality. So, for example, the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 um, was a big teaching moment in history. Now, it didn't teach everyone everything, and they all still want to cling to their, well, we can do socialism a better way. But it, it did. It was a big stinging rebuke to everyone, and they did learn something. And now the whole world sort of knows you just can't totally centrally plan the economy if you want prosperity. I think everyone sort of knows that. And they wouldn't have known that in 1982 or 1973. So, and that's because the Soviet Union hadn't collaped yet. And so, uh, so my hope is that something like that is true for Bitcoin and that, that if Bitcoin actually starts getting success, even though all the people doubted it, look, it's just like Uber or whatever. Like people never would have imagined Uber, Netflix, these kind of business models. But when they start working, you go, OK, well, it works. So, yes, I do think that if Bitcoin uh, goes to the next level, let's say, let's, let's say it's $200,000, $400,000 in the next couple of years and more and more people flee to it and lightning gets more advanced and people start using it. Um, I could see that as like a, an eye opening moment for for people in society in general and the people that. We're, we're, we're opposing it for, for decades will look like fools. So I guess that's, that's, that's kind of my perspective on it. JF, you have a question? Well, no, just a couple of comments. First of all, I think Stefan undersells the, the invention of Bitcoin, Bitcoin because it's not just a database. I think it's an open ledger and a shared book. This is an, um, such a huge innovation in the realm of uh, accounting and and money because for the first time in history human history the book and the money where you where you you know the the money that is accounted for in the books uh, are one and the same and that that bars or basically annuls a series of 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 you know about corporate and and uh, government and even banking practices that are behind lots of of uh, you know social ills in the 20th century and, and, and before and now even and the second thing is i want to speak into the 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 legal the legal situation in, in el salvador the the how do you call it in, in english uh curso forzoso the um legal tender um legal tender of course it's it's forceful but they also have legal tender or they are forced to use the US dollar. So as long as it, uh, you already have legal tender, you might as well have more options, right? So I just wanted to add those two bits. And of course, I agree on all the rest with Stefan, whose work I have always admired. And I love yours too, Juan. Uh, does anyone else have any questions or comments? We only have about 10 minutes left with Stefan. Okay, um, I have another question. So you were saying how Hoppe is not that into it. I'm actually kind of surprised. Um, is Bitcoin never spoken about at, let's say, um, Mises Institute or Hoppe's uh, society? Well, that's, that's actually an interesting question. Uh, so I think the reason Hans Hoppe is not that interested in it is uh, he's basically retired. So he, he's, he's done what he's done. And, and he, I, I, like I said, I don't think he quite gets it. Although I will say that he, I'm not going to give any details away, but uh, 
he consented. To, I, I'm involved with his property and freedom society, and 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 we had some bit we had some Bitcoin donations years ago. He consented to me uh, hodling them. Let's put it that way. <laughs> so number two, um, um, uh, I think at, at the PFS maybe five, six, seven years ago, the PFS means Property and Freedom Society in Turkey. That's Hoppa's group. Um, there was a guy, Roman Skiscu. I don't know if you know him. I don't know if he's disappeared or not. He's Ukrainian now. But uh, Roman was a big Bitcoin guy, and Roman was there. Roman's been there many times. He's a former U.S. Uh, military guy, but he's become a libertarian. Anyway, Roman uh, wanted to give a talk on Bitcoin. Now, I will say that Hans did Hoppe did not want PFS to become a Bitcoin hotbed. Like he he didn't want it to become about that, which I totally appreciate. But so he allowed there to be um, um, sort of an informal. Uh, presentation about it and a couple of years later i actually gave a talk about bitcoin and property the kind of stuff we're talking about today so i actually gave a presentation there so he's not hostile to it it's just he's not he doesn't promote it and see it as the as the world's leading uh the salvation of the world but but he, he but he but to his credit he doesn't argue against it now a better thing might be like what about my friend guido holzman who's cl closer to my age he's younger you know, he's he doesn't have as many excuses like I don't know technology. Guido has always also been skeptical about Bitcoin, but he has never come out full throated saying it's impossible either. So I respect that restraint. Um, I do think that it's a new phenomenon in society. It's a new type of money if it if it becomes money. And I think that um, um, people that have the humility to, to say, well, Maybe we have to pause here and see how we can integrate this understanding of this new phenomenon into economic theory. And of course, this is why I'm a, I'm a big a big fan of Safedina Moose, and who's my good buddy. And uh, and actually, oh, so Hans, let's yeah, Safedina Moose spoke about Bitcoin also at uh, PFS about two about two years ago. So there's been some stuff there. Now at Mises, I don't know. I think they accept Bitcoin donations. Um, <laughs> They must, I, don't yeah. I don't think they're openly hostile to it, but they're not like running to the ramparts to 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 to, to, to champion it. Sure. Not just yet. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. No, I saw Saifedean Amus's talk. I think it was at Hans's event about time preference, which obviously Hoppe would uh, appreciate. Correct. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know if a lot of people know this. So surely. Most people who are into Bitcoin probably have heard of Safety Namus. I don't know if a lot of people know he's very strongly influenced by Hans Hermann Hoppe. In fact, the two of you, to be honest, Stefan, I think of as kind of the two Hoppean princes, if you like, you from the IP angle and him from the money angle. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if uh, other people have kind of made that connection. Uh, but anyway, uh, another question uh, kind of related to the, the notion that Bitcoin could affect people's political views. So even right now, there are a lot of, not a lot, but there are a good amount of socialists who are actually into Bitcoin. Do you think that they would eventually face cognitive dissonance? Or do you think even on a Bitcoin standard, we'll have socialists or people who admire central planning or that sort of thing? Uh, I was actually not aware of that. I, I was not aware that there are socialists who are into Bitcoin. But if they are, yeah, they either have to be soft socialists or they have to be dissidents or they have to be have cognitive dissonance in the sense of 
yeah, they're they're gonna they're gonna face a choice at a certain point. Like, because if, if, if Bitcoin actually works, then the only way to understand it is, I think the Austrian the Austrian and free market um, way of viewing the role of money. Like, so money is a is a, a sui generis or 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 or, or, or naturally uh, uh, unique type of good, which which means that it is useful because it helps solve this problem I mentioned before the the barter problem and the calculation problem but it's not itself a type of wealth so it's unlike other goods because if you have other goods consumer goods and capital goods consumer goods are things we can consume directly for 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 satisfaction and capital goods are things we can use intermediately to produce them um, by and large the nature of these goods is that the more you have the wealthier you are because if you have more food or more houses or more cars or more fuel or more land, you know, or more tractors or capital goods, then you're wealthier because you, you have more ability to command things in the world and to, to achieve your daily wants. So the nature of a good normally is that it's a good is a, a supply of a, of a, of a fungible, or homogeneous commodity, which means that every unit is re replaceable with the next, but the next one is worth more. I mean, not worth more, but it's is worth something. So if you have like you know a hundred tons of fish, another ton of fish is worth is is valuable. It's worth less than the last ton of fish because of the marginal um, uh, view of of, of of utility. But it's still worth more. So, so that's the nature of goods is that the more you have, the better off you are until you have so much that it becomes a waste and then it becomes a bad and it's like pollution or, or trash or whatever. But money, unlike these things, once you have a fixed supply of money or a supply of money that works, adding another unit to the supply of money doesn't um, – doesn't add to the stock of wealth in society. So, for example, if you double the number of cars or vacuum cleaners or washing machines or houses in the U.S. tomorrow, you would increase the supply of wealth. Be like some magical space alien made us wealthier. But if you if you double the the amount of gold, if gold was money, you wouldn't quite do that because we still wouldn't be able to. You know, everyone has twice as much gold as they did the night before, but you still can't buy another hamburger for a cheaper price because you haven't increased wealth. So I, I my personal view is that this 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 economic distinction between um, the sui generis nature of money um, and wealth is important to keep in mind, which means that Bitcoin has the promise of being the perfect money because you know, ultimately in a hundred years, it won't be inflated at all anymore. It'll just be a fixed money supply. So we'll have a continually decreasing, um, well, a continually increasing supply of the, uh, the value of money will go up over every year. So we'll be richer every year just by holding money. I think it will change human character. It will change, uh, human society it will change everything so this is why i'm a proponent i'm just trying to be a realistic proponent very well said and i think that's a great note to end on uh so i just want to say uh stefan thank you very much for joining uh kent thank you thanks to the audience for listening uh hopefully you learned something about property rights austrian economics things that uh, i'm personally very passionate about 
And join us next week. We'll have Ashton from the Crypto Coin Show. So that'll be a fun one. And with that, I hope everyone has a great Thursday, a great Friday, and a great rest of your weekend. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Stefan. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you.